Okay, hello everybody, today is Wednesday. Time for the AMA, that's the Ask Me Anything, where I respond to your questions and comments. We go through the material together, and we have a discussion. Now, you might be noticing a particular topic that will be discussed throughout the duration of this episode. However, this weekend, I mean, I guess I, I guess it was last weekend, last weekend, I appeared on the Mystic Drop podcast, and I would like to uh, look at some of the comments that you guys left on that episode where I was talking about the Zodiac Killer. And by episode, I mean the Mystic Drop YouTube channel, as well as the little promo thing that I did for it here on Black Box Online Radio. The first one is from Popmon, who says, I want to say, what the hell were you wearing, dude? But instead, I will just say, you gave a great interview. Top-notch, Ned. Hey, thank you. And then the next one, from Jacob Wilbers. I watched a bit of it, and you look like one of those House of Yahweh cult members trying to go undercover at a gay bar in that outfit, though. I'm definitely going to save that one and use that for the Black Box Online Radio Mean Tweets edition that's going to come out at some point in the future. No, what I was wearing was a tank top from the Tucson Sugar Skulls football team. I'm a big sports fan. I love indoor football. And the uh, there was a game that was shortly after the recording of that interview for the Mystic Drop. And it, I guess some uh, people would appreciate that in a different way. Sadly, I'm not gay. It sounds like I would be a hit, though. It's, it's also too bad I'm not in the house of Yahweh. I would have been a hit there, too. Alas, sigh. But now to get to some other... Uh, things that were mentioned in the interview. I made a comment about how Robert Graysmith accused Arthur Lee Allen of being the Zodiac Killer, but of course Arthur Lee Allen was bald and the Zodiac had hair and all of the witness descriptions. They talk about a guy with reddish-brown curls or a small blonde crew cut, short blonde crew cut, I should say. So he said, well, he was wearing a wig and then Arthur Lee Allen, his shoes don't match what is found at Lake Berryessa, well, he glued the soles of other boots or shoes to the bottom of his own, of it to his sneakers or tennis shoes. And he's coming up with excuses like that. And then we have a comment here from JT on the uh, Mystic Drop interview, who said, They found Unabomber fake shoe sole sizes attached to shoes in his cabin. And also, he was thin and he wore two coats to look stocky. Absolutely, yes, JT is 100% right. And I've talked about this before with Kaczynski. If your suspect is Theodore Kaczynski in the Zodiac Killer mystery, and some people genuinely believe there is a Zodiac Unabomber connection, Mark Hewitt is one of them, Douglas Oswell was another, Ted Kaczynski was definitively caught gluing the soles of different shoes onto his own. Kaczynski also, um, according to JT here, wore two coats to look stocky, but the more famous thing about Ted Kaczynski is he went into a public restroom and removed a pubic hair from one of the toilets and attached it to the bombs to plant fake DNA. We've caught the Unabomber. Yeah, we, right? They've caught the Unabomber. They know who did it, and they they learned how he went about it. Kaczynski also did some very deceptive tactics. Like, when he would um go out, you know, in his Unabomber get-up where he is... um wearing those sunglasses, he would go and do, deliver the bomb, and then he would go into his little cabin in Lincoln, Montana, and he wouldn't come out and let any of the other residents of Lincoln, Montana see him until his facial hair had changed in a significant way. Ted Kaczynski was very methodical, and I've always said, if there was a schizophrenic who 
could actually pull off the Zodiac Killer mystery, perhaps it would be Ted Kaczynski. But, um, no, of course, I don't uh, think that Kaczynski was the Zodiac Killer. That's just an observation and a similarity. And I was talking about this with Mark Hewitt once when I asked him, like, what's the difference between you and Douglas Oswell, who wrote the book on the Unabomber and the Zodiac? And Mark Hewitt just said that Douglas Oswell mostly just did a comparison and contrast, talking about all the similarities between the Zodiac Killer and the Unabomber, and I do have to confess, there are many of them, but thank you to JT for the comment all the same. It's a good point. Now, we have a comment here on an older episode about two other serial killers, Leonard Lake and Charles Ng, and that episode is called The Boneyard Killers. It came out in 2019, but Anti-Ethnic Cleansing has just left a comment on their nice name, by the way, not, and Anti-Ethnic Cleansing, um wanted to respond to something from that episode. In your episode, you ask a question, if you could have a sit-down conversation with a single ki serial killer, which one would you choose? My answer is, not a single one of them. What a weird question, bro. I don't even want to be in the vicinity of one of these monsters. Forget about having a tea-time chat with them about their wicked deeds. And in that episode, The Boneyard Killers, talking about Leonard Lake and Charles Ng, Two absolutely horrible serial killers. Guys who actually made real-life snuff films where people were murdered on videotape. And it's all recorded. I, um, asked a question that was found on Facebook. Like, somebody made a Facebook meme and they said, If you could have, a, what was it, a 15-minute conversation with any serial killer, which one would you choose? And my answer was Charles Ng. For some reasons that I talked about in that episode, I was just responding to a post on Facebook. And normally, normally... I would say anti-ethnic cleansing, um, well, I mean, I guess your priorities are sorted out in your comment, not your name. Anti-ethnic cleansing, normally I would say you have a good point. I mean, like, I would be like, okay, fair enough, all right, I see your point, all serial killers are bad, except for the fact that you're listening to a podcast about serial killers called the Boneyard Killers. I mean, how are people going to learn things if they're not uncovering this information. Somebody at some point is going to interview a serial killer, and it's not about glorifying or romanticizing or anything to do with a subject other than human curiosity, trying to learn about human psychology and human biology. And I've said one of the biggest reasons that I talk about true crime on YouTube is because when we're learning about humanity, we can't only learn the warm and fuzzy parts. We also have to learn about the darker sides of human nature, because that's the way life is. That's what science is about. That's what the social sciences are about. That's just what experience is about. So why were you listening to a podcast about serial killers if you don't think people should be talking to serial killers at all? Now, I don't mean that you should be friends with them or that you have to praise their deeds. They do horrible things. And you're right. They are monstrous people. Maybe they're not monsters themselves, they're deranged humans, but they did monstrous things. So, normally I would be able to give you um, some credit for that, except for the fact that you're obviously curious about it. Well, where do you think the info is going to come from? Colonel Reb has a comment on the most recent uh, True Crime Talk Radio episode when he says, The next book you should write is a True Crime Zodiac novel, a masterpiece of all your research so far. It could be a bestseller, Ned. Hey, thank you, Colonel Reb. Now, while I don't have another book in the works, I do know someone who is planning a true crime Zodiac novel. 
In somewhat of that fashion that you just described there, Colonel Red, I won't say who yet, but rumor has it, it should be out later this year or perhaps at the beginning of next year. And that's all I will say for now. We have a question from Pedro Fernandez, which says, off topic, what's up with the animated true crime stories? Ah, yes, on the Zodiac Killer channel, I was doing a segment over there for a while called True Crime News. Just a couple of episodes have been put out. It's kind of like a pilot episode, demo, trial, or just like a beta version that has been put out. And you can still see them. They're over there on the Zodiac Killer channel. It was meant to be a little bit more general. I'm just the narrator, of course. And when he says the um, animated true crime stories, it has kind of a cartoon-like um, newscaster. And I am the voice of it over on the Zodiac Killer channel, if anyone would like to see. On to our next question from Manic Eptipode, who has one on the episode Zodiac Killer, Bill Menser. And this says, you mentioned a person named Cavale. Surely you don't mean that Cavale family, do you? And, and uh, Manic Eptipode has written this out. Q-V-A-L-E, Cavale, talking of course about Shell Cavale, a Norwegian immigrant, car import-export guru, and Zodiac killer suspect. In the murder of Bill Menser, in the, um, in the Zodiac killer Bill Menser episode, which talks about murders committed by Bill Menser, excuse me, I misspoke. No, there's another player named Cavale, but his name is spelled C-A-V-A-L-L-I, Gregory Allen Cavale, and he is a different person. We also had another comment from Apex Prowler that um, almost asked the same, uh, or asked a very similar question. I'll, I'll paraphrase Apex Prowler's uh, question into um, a few different words and just ask, was the person who committed the murder of June Mincher um, along with Bill Menser named Alex Marty? And the answer to that is no. Okay, there's this guy named Gregory Allen Cavalli, and he responds to an ad in a newspaper for someone named June Mincher. She is an escort, and they start talking on the phone. Cavalli is talking to June Mincher. They develop somewhat of a back-and-forth relationship. Then Gregory Allen Cavalli goes to see June Mincher, and then he is rather surprised to find out that she is 245 pounds. She is nothing like how he imagined, and he rejects her. Then June Mincher erupts into somewhat of a rage. It appears that she was harassing Cavalli, and it seems like she was actually being pretty nasty about it. And then this guy Cavalli hired someone named Arthur Michael Pascal, who worked with both legal and illegal security operations. Legal meaning he went on to write a book, well, or he had written a book called Hospital Security and Safety, but he was also hired by Cavalli and he, to deal with this problem of June Mincher. And then Arthur Michael Pascal directed two people to commit the murder of June Mencher. And those two people were Bill Menser and Robert Lowe. Alex Marty is an accomplice in a different murder, or he's an active participant in a different murder, which is known as the Cotton Club murder. And it really ties into the namesake of today's episode. The Cotton Club murder is um, involving a woman named Lainey Greenberger, who was 
working on the production of the movie The Cotton Club, she had direct connections to the producer Roy Radin, and she felt that she had been cheated out of a certain amount of money for her work on the film, or that she had been cheated financially. So her response was to have Roy Radin murdered, and the two people who committed out that crime were Bill Menser, once again, and Alex Marty. M-A-R-T-I. Alex Marty. And in, in an article that we're going to go through today, we'll see that Robert Lowe may have also been involved with that. But um, I said that this is a very clear example of criminal hierarchies going on. You have Gregory Allen Cavalli making the decisions. Arthur Michael Pascal comes in, and then he is delegating the task to people to carry out these decisions. And then Bill Menser and Robert Lowe actually commit the murder of June Mincher. So I would like to go to an article that I found from the Executive Intelligence Review. And to be honest with you guys, I could not believe this. I was like, am I just... I did not believe my eyes. Have you ever heard of the Executive Intelligence Review? It is a publication that is put out by the LaRouche Pack. And back in 2017 and 2018, I was very much involved with their material. I really followed them. I was not perhaps not the most diehard believer. But I was very curious what they had to say. And I even wanted to read off this one segment that had been written recently by a LaRouche Pack member named Barbara Boyd talking about satanic influences on the government. But then I decided not to. But as, we, as we're going to see, this is very relevant to last week's Zodiac Mondays episode. Really, it's this week's Zodiac Mondays. This week, last week, next week. Who knows what day it is anymore. But I was talking about Bill Menser on Zodiac Mondays. No, he wasn't murdered. I misspoke earlier. But Bill Menser was convicted for the 1983 murder of Roy Radin, as I said, orchestrated by Lainey Greenberger, and the 1984 murder of June Mincher. She's sometimes referred to as June Mack. That one was directed by Gregory Allen Cavalli and Arthur Michael Pascal. The Executive Intelligence Review has an article talking about both of these crimes, and it was written by Jeffrey Steinberg, and it's called Satan Watch, the Cotton Club Case. And maybe you've heard some people talk about how there are satanic influences on the government, or the elite circles have their own satanic practices, and when I first heard about that stuff, I was like, what on earth are people talking about? How on earth are they coming up with this? And it's not just this stuff here from the LaRouche pack. They're still standing by this narrative to this day. Back in 2018, I watched an, um, a series of lectures from a guy named Kevin Shipp, who was pretty much saying the exact same thing. There are occult, there are occult practices that are being performed by members of our elite circles, the New World Order, the Deep State, the Shadow Government, they all have these occult rituals that they practice. But he didn't elaborate into too many details. I do have one episode about him, Kevin Shipp, and some of the comments that he has made. But I'd like to read Jeffrey Steinberg's article on Satan Watch. On July 12, 1989, the Los Angeles Municipal Court Judge Patty Jo McKay ordered Karen Delane Greenberger, Alex Marty, and William Menser to stand trial for the murder of Broadway impresario, cocaine addict, and satanic sex deviant Roy Radin. Well, okay, I mean, that is one way to introduce a subject, and of course, Karen Delane Greenberger is Laney Greenberger. 
the Cotton Club murder goes to trial next year, it is expected to last at least it is expected that at least one other person, Robert Lowe, will have been added to the indictment. Evidence is still being reviewed to determine whether Robert Evans, one of Hollywood's most famous producers and a longtime intimate of Henry Kissinger, will be prosecuted for ordering and financing the hit. See, the LaRouche pack um, had an enormous amount of allegations against Henry Kissinger. They said that he was a child molester, that he molested boys in the Carlisle Hotel. They also said that he was um, involved with, you know, weird satanic rituals, and now he has also financed the hit on Roy Radin. Or that, um, or one of his intimates, you hear that word, the, one of his intimates financed the murder of Roy Radin. I guess I need to be a little bit more precise. The Cotton Club case promises to shed new light on nationwide satanic murders with deep ties to the Medellin cartel and to international, um, not even gonna say that word because I'll get this video, this video will get taken down, if the allegations in a forthcoming edition of Maury Terry's Ultimate Evil prove accurate. That's right. The Executive Intelligence Review, tying to Maury Terry and the Ultimate Evil, Defendant William Menser may provide a direct link between the Raiden ritualistic murder and the mid-1970s Son of Sam killings and the Manson family spree of 1969, a mass murder spree. In the first edition of his book, of his book-length profile on the convicted Son of Sam killer David Berkowitz, Maury Terry described a nationwide satanic underground involved movement of human sacrifices and drug-related contract killings. Terry tracked a Los Angeles-based killer dubbed Manson Number no. 2, who came out of the circles around Charles Manson and carried out some of New York City's 1977 Son of Sam murders, as well as the 1974 ritualistic killing on the campus of Stanford University in Palo Alto. That, of course, is talking about the 1974 murder of Arliss Perry. Evidence gathered in the Cotton Club prosecution suggests that Manson Number no. 2, that's, uh, that's Bill Menser, by the way, um, further, if uh, Terry's allegations pan out, the Satanic Murder, Inc. was at one point linked to the London-founded cult called the Process Church of the Final Judgment. In, and, in, and it is referred to in Los Angeles as the Process of Elimination. At the time, Raiden was shot in the head 13 times on Friday, May 13, 1983, at a deserted site in northern Los Angeles County. Menser, Marty, and Lowe, that's Bill Menser, Alex Marty, and Robert Lowe, were all full-time bodyguards for Hustler Magazine publisher Larry Flint. Evidence presented at the two-month evidentiary hearing also linked Menser and Marty to the 1984 contract killing of a black Los Angeles prostitute, June Mencher, and in dramatic courtroom developments, private detective Arthur Michael Pascal testified that Menser, there's a intimate, there's that word again, intimate, Menser's intimate William Ryder boasted that Ryder and his brother-in-law Larry Flint had murdered U.S. intelligence operative Michael Livingston Warble III in December of 1983. At the time of Warble's death, the XOSS figure was involved in a national security investigation of Larry Flint regarding possession of blackmail against President Reagan and members of his inner circle. Now, this goes on for a while, but if you heard the um, recent episode that I did about Bill Menser, all right, yes, he's famous, actually, for, for, for this, I mean, for being connected to Charles Manson, and then Maury Terry talked about him trying to 
use Bill Menser as a link between the East Coast and the West Coast. Brian Davis on the Taylor Bianca radio program openly called out Maury Terry for this, even though Maury Terry is no longer with us. But he said, Maury Terry tried to pin the 1974 murder of Arliss Perry on Bill Menser. He said, this is his suspect. I figured out what happened. I know what's going on. There's this nationwide. They call it Satanic Murder Inc. I call it the Shadow Network of Cult-like Activity. There is this thing in the dark that's really scary, and Bill Menser is the person that we've discovered. And he murdered Arliss Perry. He murdered her in 1974 in a Stanford cathedral, and it was a ritualistic, satanic murder that people learned about, and it had the Son of Sam symbol, and then there were candles that were placed on Arliss Perry's body in a ritualistic way. Right? Wrong. DNA uncovered a new suspect in the murder of Arliss Perry in 2018. Really, he's not a new suspect. It was the person who found her body. His name was Stephen Crawford, the security guard who was on the premises at the time. And he was the first person to find Arliss Perry after she had been murdered. And DNA revealed that he was the perpetrator. And what Brian Davis was saying was, if Maury Terry was wrong about that, it wasn't Bill Menser who committed that crime. It was Stephen Crawford. And after the DNA breakthrough, Stephen Crawford went on to commit suicide. So um, I think that almost but surely cements his guilt. I mean, if he were innocent, but I, I think that it was some pretty damning DNA evidence, to be honest. So you do have to raise certain questions about Maury Terry's ultimate evil theory, and you do have to challenge these things. I mean, as I said on Monday's episode, I think it's so much more valuable to look at how these contract killings take place and how that there's this drug front that's going on. The Cotton Club movie was allegedly a, was a front for the drug trade, that like it's a facade for exchanges that are going on with the cocaine dealings to the tune of, of millions of dollars. So I think that um, that's the valuable stuff. People really get hunkered down on this satanic element because they're trying to say that there are these elite circles and they have these ritualistic practices. And sometimes the general public finds out because of people like Bill Menzer, because of people like Arthur Michael Pascal, because of people like Robert Lowe, because of people like Alex Marty, people who get caught doing the bidding of global elites. But why does it have to be satanic? As you see, I'm very skeptical of this stuff. Why does it have to be satanic? Yes, they're contract killers. Yes, they were hired to commit these crimes. Yes, they were instructed to do this because someone more powerful and richer than they were paid them and ordered them to do this. And then they did it for power, profit, and because they had terrible childhoods. That's, um, that's the big story behind these crimes here. But I would like to keep going with um, this article here written by Jeffrey Steinberg. One more time, Satan, Satan Watch, the Cotton Club case. Paramount Pictures mogul Evans' suspected involvement in the Raiden killings comes through his dealings with a big-time cocaine trafficker named Karen Delane Greenberger. Yes, that's Laney Greenberger, whom Evans was soliciting, according to one account, to put up millions of dollars to finance the 1984 Cotton Club movie, According to police accounts, Greenberger, whose husband, Jack Greenberger, is a top figure in the Mendeline cartel in southern Florida, was a Hollywood distributor for the Milano for Milano Bellachases, now under indictment in Florida. Greenberger brought the Long Island-based Raiden into the deal, which eventually went sour. 
According to one story, Greenberger and possibly Evans had Raiden killed in order to erase the movie financing deal and avenge Raiden's theft of a large amount of cocaine and cash from Greenberger. In the more conventional news sources that aren't coming from uh, the Executive Intelligence Review, they, it simply says that um, Lainey Greenberger thought that she was going to get a cut of the movie's profits or proceeds or something like that, but then it turned out um, that she either wasn't going to get any money or the first source that I read about that, and um, I've uh, it has escaped me, otherwise I would simply cite it, it would also... Um, it just said that she received the smallest cut of any of the producers, and she felt cheated, so that was the motivation. Nothing satanic going on, it's just she thought that she was going to get some money out of this deal that she didn't, so this was her retaliation method. The picture, however, may be far, may be far more complex, according to accounts by David Berkowitz. Oh yeah, by the way, David Berkowitz is a really reliable person. You should always trust everything David Berkowitz says. Hashtag sarcasm. Hashtag WTF. According to accounts by David Berkowitz, the Westchester County, New York, son of Sam, cult satanic killer group of at least a dozen people was directly involved with Raiden's death through cocaine deals and occult sexual activities. Raiden's 77-room mansion was the scene of a violent gang rape of model Melanie Hall her in the 1980s. At the time of Raiden's murder, Queens, New York attorney John Santucci just reopened the Son of Sam case on the basis of evidence that Berkowitz was not the lone killer. Now that's the stuff that Maury Terry really got into in his book that I think is so much more important to talk about that, okay, Berkowitz was guilty of murder, he openly confessed committing two murders, but, well, was there another shooter in the Son of Sam case? I mean, was there a different person who was involved? And, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the interview where Berkowitz is talking to Maury Terry and he openly says that he only committed those two crimes. Some people think that David Berkowitz was lying through his teeth, and other people think, including the mother of Stacy Moskowitz, Nisa Moskowitz, she said she didn't believe that Berkowitz committed all the crimes. She felt persuaded by Maury Terry. In response to Jeffrey Steinberg, who wrote that Satan Watch article about the Cotton Club murder case, I can definitely tell that he has followed Maury Terry very closely. He is a believer in Maury Terry's theory, but the LaRouche Pack says some very similar stuff. It's a very widely held belief that there are satanic cults that have infiltrated the political elites. I'm skeptical, but if you're skeptical, then that just means you will accept it once you have the proof. But right now, I have to give a shout-out to Playtime, who shared something with me last year about the murder of Sherry Jo Bates in 1966, and that was introducing me to the Theban alphabet. Now, we've recently learned that the letters that said Bates had to die, there will be more, signed with a Z, were a hoax. It was a prankster. It was some guy doing a sick joke. But one thing that Playtime had proposed was that Z at the bottom of the letters is not a Z. It is a Theban L. It is from the Theban alphabet, which is used in some variants of ritualistic practices. But also, the murder of Sherry Jo Bates occurred on October 30th, her body was found on Halloween morning. You can see where this is going, some type of pagan ritualistic ideology behind the murder of Sherry Jo Bates. But those letters have been identified as that of a prankster, so does that make us think twice about that? I would say 
in my own original observation that it throws water on proper Christmas theory that the Zodiac Killer is obsessed with holidays, that the Zodiac is operating around holidays, because Robert Graysmith believed that the murder of Sherry Jo Bates in 1966 was a genuine Zodiac crime, as well as saying that there's this holiday connection. He wrote it out so clearly in Zodiac Unmasked that December 20th, 1968 is Lake Herman Road, where David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen are murdered. Well, I'm sorry, but December 20th is not Christmas. Winter solstice you could get away with. Christmas, no. And then um, saying that Darlene Farron's murdered on the 4th of July. All right, that's true. September 27th with Lake Berryessa. That's a stretch. Paul Stein is murdered on October 11th. That's a stretch because Columbus Day is not a real holiday. So it was really just um the 4th of July and October 30th with the murder of Sherry Jo Bates that had his holiday theory that the Zodiac is doing something around that time. I think it's horribly weakened now. But because Playtime shared with me that theory about the Theban alphabet, I got on Amazon.com and I found that there's a book by Greg Jenkins called The Theban Oracle, Discover the Magic of the Ancient Alphabet that Changes Our Lives. We've been talking a little bit about satanic cults that have been operating in the circles of government, or this theory that the murders of Roy Radin and June Mincher could be connected to the Process Church and to um, a darker, more ritualistic style of killings. And just to be clear, I hope it, I hope it is clear, Bill Menser is supposedly the link among all of this, that he's a member of the Process Church, which was connected to the Son of Sam slayings, which is connected to the Manson family, which was connected to the, to the murder of Arliss Perry. And Bill Menser is a Zodiac suspect, even though he was just a tabloid suspect from the year 2003-2004, thereabouts. But I would like to read the description of the book, The uh, Theban Oracle, because it's still on my reading list at some point. Based on the ancient magical writings of 14th century Magus, Honorus of Thebus, the Theban Oracle is a codex employed for centuries as a means of devotion and divination used by such masters of the occult sciences, such as Heinrich, Cornelius Agrippa, Dr. John D., Francis Barrett, and later Gerald Gardner. It has remained relatively obscure and elusive to the modern practitioner until now. In this book, Greg Jenkins offers both the complete history of the medieval magic system and a working manual for the modern age. In these pages, you will learn how to make and care for your own set of stones, a variety of methods for divination from using just one stone to nine stones and more, how to use the Theban stones for spell casting, including love and purification spells, and incense and candle magic. Why does it have to have all that stuff in there? And this is one of the reasons why I haven't bought it yet. If this were in a library, I would be reading this thing first thing in the morning, like when I'm supposed to be paying attention at work or something, I would be reading uh, this instead. But, I mean, this stuff sounds great. You're talking about writings from the 14th century, the complete history of this medieval magical system. All right, that's the stuff that I want to know about. When it comes to actually just laying out these stones for purification and making love potions and candle magic, yeah, that's that's just not me. I'm 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 not that um, involved to the point where I think that that would actually bring me 
any fulfillment in life. I'm skeptical, but I will accept it once I have the proof. And talking about messing around at work, like, when I was supposed to be um, doing work today, I instead ended up reading about satanic cults in America, just keeping my computer screen away from people. But then I found this video online where somebody took the Scooby-Doo characters and, you know, Fred and Daphne, and they kind of reanimated it where Fred and Daphne are having sex. And I just was watching that instead of doing work, and I'm just like, I hope no one walks in right now. I just hope that. Anyway, I just had to share that for some awkward reason. I don't know. I mean, I guess I started off this episode by saying, well, by reading off someone else's comments saying that I look like I belong in a cult of Yahweh undercover operation at the gay bar, so, um, going both ways. Anyway, thank you for listening to this very weird, very awkward episode, and if you can have any kind of takeaway from this, it's that there are a lot of wild accusations out there, and it's very difficult to disprove some of them. In fact, it's impossible want to know how I know that? Because when you just have something like this Satanic Murder Inc. group, which is the Processors and the Children, and then the other smaller groups like the Manson family, and then like the, what is it, the 22 Disciples of Evil, uh, where's Manny Grossman when you need him? Is that what it's called? Like the, uh, the smaller cell that was in New York? So... When you have these groups, and you're just going to say that it's the shadow network of cult-like activity, that it's Murder, Inc., that it's the process church of the final judgment, if anything goes against somebody's theory and disproves them, you can incorporate it into the conspiracy theory. And I really do have to cite David Orenchak for that, because he wrote this just on a forum. I know he's famous for solving the 340, but before that, like, he was just posting on a Zodiac forum, and he said... So talking about how someone can receive contradictory evidence and then incorporate it into their theory. Well, what does that mean? Then it would be like, okay, well, um, the murder of Arliss Perry wasn't committed by Bill Menser. It was committed by Stephen Crawford. Well, that's because Stephen Crawford is also part of the shadow network of cult-like activity because he's also a satanic worshiper. When contradictory evidence is presented, someone can incorporate it into the theory. That makes the conspiracy theory unbreakable. It can't be falsified. And then it's just a continuing um, verbal illusion, so to speak. Be very skeptical of conspiracy theories, but not so skeptical that you will dismiss all of them. Sometimes conspiracy theories turn out to be true. That's such a better ending than talking about watching dopey-ass Scooby-Doo porn. Anyway, um... Thank you for listening to this episode, and if you like this one for some reason, you can hit the like button and always subscribe to the channel. Feel free to visit some of those links in the description box, the book Killer on a White Horse, the Teespring page, as well as Astrocyte 400 is another channel that I've done on YouTube. And as I said, the Zodiac Killer channel has true crime news and a whole lot of things in the description box there, including my email address, blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com, as well as blackboxnet88 on Instagram, and I will see you over there for the bonus podcast. Until next time.